Amen. Thank you. Turn tonight to Titus chapter 2, please. Jim, be careful back there. You know what happened the last time you taught the young children. Thank you all for your labor. Titus chapter 2, and we're going to read the entirety of the chapter this evening. Let's go ahead and stand as we are able. I am not really in any way, shape, or form trying to drag out our time in the pastorals, but I want to just kind of survey chapter 2 this evening, and then we will come back over the next few weeks and look at it in a little bit deeper detail. So Titus chapter 2 and verse number 1, But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine, that the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, in patience. The aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things that they may be able to that they may teach the young women to be sober to love their husbands to love their children to be discreet chaste keepers at home good obedient to their own husbands that the word of god be not blasphemed young men likewise exhort to be sober minded in all things showing thyself a pattern of good works in doctrine, showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to save you. Exhort servants to be obedient under their own masters, and to please them well in all things, not answering again, not purloining, but showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that, denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. And let's pray. So Father, I pray that you would help all of us to receive the instructions, to take them to heart, to consider where we fit within the instructions that are given and how we are to submit ourselves to them so that we now, these many years later, would live in such a way that your sound doctrine would not be spoken evil of. I pray this for us in Jesus' name. Amen. You may, of course, be seated. Well, Paul has left Timothy, of course, in, tight, in Crete, 
for essentially the same reason that he has, I did it with Paul has left Titus in Crete for the same reason that he has sent Timothy to Ephesus. That they might come and set the churches in order, not from a position of their own sense of superiority, but because of the authority of Scripture. These new fledgling churches are in trouble. And the antidote to a church's trouble is sound doctrine. Churches that are troubled need a dose of sound doctrine. Paul ended chapter 1 by pointing out what is a very real, serious, ongoing problem. Look at verse number 16 of chapter 1. They profess that they know God. So if if you were to inquire of these people, what God do you recognize? Oh, the God of the Bible, Jehovah. Are you a believer? Oh yes, I am a believer. They profess that they know Him. So these are not people who go, I I worship another God, or I've never heard of Jehovah. But in works, going back to 116, but in works they deny. And you notice that the hymn is italicized, it's completely legitimately dead, but what Paul said, they profess that they know God, but in works they deny. Their works contradict their words. And they are therefore abominable, disobedient, and unto every good work reprobate, which means they can't get their mind, they can't make the right judgment about what a good work really is. Why is it a good work? What makes it a good work? Why should I do it as a good work? Because although they have professed to know the Lord, they are not genuinely connected to the Lord. And as we saw in Sunday school this morning, although they are image bearers, their intellect and their will and their emotions and their minds are completely darkened and they are alienated from God. And so they can say that they know Him, but they do not. So what is Titus to do? What is the right response to this glaring problem? To this very real dilemma, this quandary that... Folks, this is not a quandary that pastors face. This is a quandary that churches face. And so to that... God begins to instruct Timothy or Titus about what to do. <clears throat> in fact, if I could just point out to you, right, that there's a sense in which the entirety of chapter, what to us is chapter 2, right, it's kind of all-inclusive in this idea of what Timothy is to do. Verse number 1 of chapter 2, but, right, but what you're to do, Titus, is to speak things which become sound doctrine. This is your task. They're in the island of Crete. 
There are people who profess to know the Lord. Their works say otherwise. We're not talking about saints who sin. We're talking about sinners who think they're saints. Speak sound doctrine. And then in chapter 2 and verse number 15, these things speak. Right? Because he's about to, to give us some idea of not really what sound doctrine is as much as what sound doctrine does. What will sound doctrine do? And so Titus is to speak these things, verse number one. He is to speak them authoritatively. And he is to speak them courageously. Don't let anybody think little of you. There was a friend of mine, but he's been dead for over 30 years now, but he used to say all the time, I, I have a one-string banjo and it's the local church. And we have one task and it is the delivery of sound doctrine to the people of God. So with that in mind, the, the fact that what to us is chapter 2 really is revolving around this theme that Titus is to speak things that become sound doctrine. He is to do it with authority, scriptural authority. These things do command them, instruct them with all authority. He is to do this courageously. Do not let anybody think little of you because of this. What is going on generally? And let me, let me suggest to you that in general, throughout the chapter, there are three ideas that Paul is trying to convey. The first is this. Sound doctrine must be preached to the people of God because sound doctrine restrains sinful impulses. What keeps sinners from giving in to their sinfulness? Sound doctrine. Sound doctrine. <clears throat> now Paul has already addressed this in chapter 1 and verse number 12. That the, that the people of Crete have a very low opinion of even of themselves. One of themselves, even a prophet of their own, the, the Cretans are always liars. That's what they do. They misinform Evil beasts, they live like wild animals, slow bellies, they just want to lay around and eat. And then he goes on to say, this witness is true. So what do you say to people like that? You give to them sound doctrine. You give to them sound doctrine. And going back to chapter 2 and verse number 1, Titus is to speak the things which become sound doctrine. Things that are appropriate to sound doctrine. Which means, folks, that there are things that you can teach that do not fit with sound doctrine. If I may just point this out, and perhaps this would be the best, better left at the conclusion of the service. The Bible, as you read the Bible, and you start in the book of Genesis and read through, the Bible is an action-packed book. You have God using his voice to create something out of nothing. We have instantaneous drama. We have conflict. 
We have apprehension. We have close calls. We have miracles. We have the sun standing still and the earth opening up and God destroying thousands of people in a single judgment and wandering in the wilderness and living on the edge of starvation. Great battles, great deliverances. You have miracle-working prophets. And then we come to the Gospels. We have Jesus preaching with great power and healing all that come to him. Casting out demons. And then we go to the book of Acts. We have all this activity and thousands of people getting saved and the Spirit falling and speaking in tongues and all this glory. And now here we are 2,000 years later. And what should we be doing? Really living very routine lives. That's what God has for us. All that God has done in getting the Bible to us and all that God has done in bringing salvation to us and all that God has done in explaining to the future to us, what does God really want you to do? He just wants you to live like the believer you claim to be. And that's just pretty ordinary. That's just figuring out where your place in the world is and doing what God tells you to do in your place. We're not really called, folks, to change the world. God might use us to influence the world. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that that's not really our calling. Our calling is to do the things that are in accord with sound doctrine, which, as we will see, are not really spectacular things. They're kind of ordinary things. There are lots of things listed, and again, we will take the time to kind of walk through the passage. There are a variety of groups of people, different what we might call demographics in the passage. But in general, right, we speak the things that become sound doctrine. So let me give you some key words. Sobriety. Sobriety. Verse number 2 of chapter 2, that the aged men be sober. The, the Greek word that is used there was actually the word that the Romans used to describe somebody who didn't drink alcohol. To us, sober is kind of like a state of mind, a state of being, the absence of inebriation. To the Romans, it described a particular type of character, somebody who didn't drink. And then it became used in contrast to those who got drunk, and so to be sober was to be restrained. In 1 Timothy 3.2, the same word is translated here, vigilant. Actually, the word that I'm talking about is the word temperate, that the majid men be sober, grave, temperate. But temperate is another one of those words of sound mind curbing your impulses. How should we live as New Testament believers? We should be restrained. We should be in our right mind. We should be in control of our faculties. We should be clear in our thinking. In verse number four, you have this, that the 
that they may teach the young women to be sober, which is, comes from the same word as temperate in verse number 2. Verse number 5, to be discreet, same as temperate in verse number 2. Verse number 6, young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded. We're just to have control of ourselves. We're to have control of ourselves because we're not under the influence of external factors like alcohol. And we're to be in control of ourselves because we are under the control of the, of the Word of God. This is something that God wants for men, 2-2, two, two, for women, 2-3, for young men, 2-6, for young women, 2-4. Servants are to be obedient, 2-9. Sound doctrine is at war with the sin nature. It is sound doctrine that teaches us to be compliant Again, to know our place in the world, to be compliant to the authorities that exist in that place. Sound doctrine teaches us to be gentle of demeanor and disposition, and it teaches us to be reliable and trustworthy when it comes to others. Sound doctrine. Sound doctrine is God's tool for restraining our sinful impulses. Secondly, those who submit to sound doctrine live lives that are beneficial to others. Look, for instance, at verses 3 and 4. The aged women likewise. So Paul begins in this case, as we would expect, with the aged men. Right? Teach things that become sound doctrine that the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, in patience, the aged women likewise. The ladies are to have the same disposition. That they may be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children. Now, this is a passage that, of course, is going to demand a little bit more of our attention than we can give it now. But verse number four does not really, in the Greek language, include the word teach. And in fact, the verb in verse number four is the word sober. The word teach is found in verse number 3. But sober in verse number 4 is the verb in the sentence. And, And here's the point, folks, in general. The point is that the aged women, and we will talk about this next week, what makes a woman aged, the aged women are to live in such a way that they may influence the younger women to live the same way. That if the, if the aged women have lived right, 
they're able to teach the younger women to live rightly in the same way. Those who submit to sound doctrine live lives that are beneficial to others. It's not just what's in it for me, although there's much in it for me, but to live the right way. Now again, we'll get into this. Is Paul suggesting that there be some kind of formal instruction? Possibly, but I don't think that's the primary thing that he's after. I think the primary thing that he's after is that the aged women have lived properly so that they might both influence and when necessarily verbally instruct the younger women how to live the right way. And this might come as the greatest shock of all folks, and I'm really not trying to be sarcastic or facetious, but that never changes to the Lord. The pressures of society and the demands upon women in any given culture, but in one especially like ours, to advance, to excel, to exceed, to dominate, to domineer, to run the world if necessary, are totally out of sync with everything that God has ever desired for his women. So that although it may sound very old-fashioned that the elderly ladies are influencing the younger ladies to be just like them, that is nevertheless what the word of the Lord says. That if the elderly ladies have figured out godliness, they're to transmit that godly lifestyle to the young women for their benefit, who will then in turn transmit it to young women when they become the aged women. This is not just true of aged women, it is true of Titus himself in verse number 7. In all things showing thyself a pattern of good works. In doctrines, and by the way, can I just say as a pastor, those kinds of sentiments are incredibly intimidating and unpopular. But that is nevertheless what the word of the Lord says. Titus, Speak the things that become sound doctrine and live them. In all things showing thyself a pattern of good works. In doctrine showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity. Sound speech that cannot be condemned. Your words and your walk are proper and in the harness together. So that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed having no evil thing to say of you. So that you might be blameless would be the Bible word. Blameless. So that one might disagree with what you say and how you live, but they cannot find fault with the fact that you say it because you live it. So, why is, what does sound doctrine do? It serves to restrain our sinful impulses. We are not by nature compliant and obedient and peaceable. We are by nature cantankerous and divisive. 
What does sound doctrine do? It benefits others. When it is lived out, it is beneficial to others. And finally, when we live out sound doctrine, we honor the Lord. And again, folks, what really comes through in this chapter, in this passage, is not the content, right? You're hard-pressed to come to this passage, to this chapter, and find content of what sound doctrine is. There's no doctrine of salvation or doctrine of Christ. There's not even a doctrine of gender identity. There's no doctrine of creation, no doctrine of the end times with the part that we're waiting for the Lord. He is talking about the credibility of the one who possesses it. Remember, folks, this is what follows chapter 1 and verse number 16. There are those who profess, but their works don't match. What do we do with that? We gather all of God's people together and we say, here is how you need to live and here is why you need to live that way. And then we keep doing it. And we keep doing it. And we keep doing it. Here's what the Bible tells us to do. Here is why we must do it. Here's what's in it for us if we do it. This is what the expectation is. So for instance, in verse number 5 of chapter 2, right? I stopped in verse number 4. Paul is still addressing his comments to what he wishes younger women to be. To be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands. Why all these things? So that the word of God be not blasphemed. So that the word of God be not blasphemed. So that nobody talks evil about the Bible because of the way young women live. Verse number 8, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that he of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. Why? So that God's word is not condemned. So that God's word is not blasphemed. So that God's word is not condemned. And so that in verse number 10, God's word is decorated with good works. Not purloining, but showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. So that they may decorate the doctrine of God. So that they may dress up the doctrine of God with good works. This is is instruction to those who are enslaved. Make God look good. You're a slave. Make God look good. And this is because, folks, in in verse number 11, Paul begins a sentence that runs all the way through verse number 14. One long sentence. English teachers, here you go. This is for you. Why should this be this way? Why should women both old and young, and men, both old and young, and pastors, and slaves. 
Why should they be very careful to live in such a way as to not dishonor God's doctrine? Because, verse number 11, the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts. Remember, sound doctrine restrains sin natures. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live. How? Soberly? Righteously? Godly? In this present world? Looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us. That he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, Zealous of good works. This is what God wants from us. And, and these are good works, folks. And, and I'm, they're, they're not good works in the singing in a choir sense. Singing in the choir is a good work. And they're not good works in the teaching a Sunday school class, although that's a good work. And, and that can be included. But, but that's not the exhaustive list. The good works that God has in mind are listed here and that's not an exhaustive list but here are the kind of good works that God wants right men who are controlled control yourself who are in their right minds women who are obedient to their own husbands that's a good work who are chaste who are keepers at home those are good works those are the kind of works God is talking about That's the kind of stuff that God saved us to do. That's what grace really teaches us. It teaches us to deny ungodliness. It teaches us to deny worldly desires. It teaches us to do God's good works so that God looks good. So folks, sound doctrine. And by the way... Do we have now an addition to our understanding of why it is that sometimes you have to put up with preaching? Because not everything that God tells us to do is going to be well received immediately, is it? Or tasty to the palate. Folks, sound doctrine is not using a bunch of Latin phrases to describe things like soteriology instead of salvation or eschatology instead of end times. And it's not simply or exclusively the study of systematic theology, the doctrine of God and the doctrine of man and the doctrine of angels. Sound doctrine is having a home that operates the way it's supposed to operate. Raising our children the way they're supposed to be raised. Conducting ourselves at work the way we're supposed to behave at work. Conducting ourselves at play the way God's people are supposed to conduct themselves when they relax. Sound doctrine. It does something. It's important to the church. Let's pray. Father, may none of us ever live publicly, privately, secretly in a way 
that would cause you to be dishonored, that would bring reproach upon your precious words. So help me please, both to live and to preach sound doctrine. And help us to receive it as your people for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.